morning. It's so good to see you all this morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's wonderful to see our members uh, each week and several times throughout the week. It's always great to see one another and encourage each other, spend time together in fellowship and worship and study. And uh, we're so glad you're here. We're also so glad to have our visitors here with us this morning. Thank you very much for being here. We invite you to uh, give us a, a few minutes after we dismiss. Make sure we get to say hello to you and welcome you. And, and we want to make you feel welcome. And we want you to know you are welcome here. And thank you so much for being here. You're always welcome to uh, assemble with us, worship with us, and we'd love to get to know you. If there's any way we can ever help you also, be sure to let us know. Uh, we're also very thankful to have those with us who join us online. We're very appreciative to have you, and we're always here for you as well. We haven't forgotten about you. We remember you and pray for you and think of you. And if we can ever serve you, please reach out to us and let us know. We start a new series this week in the book of Romans. We're going to cover the book of Romans, and I'm very excited about Romans. I love the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians uh, there's 16 chapters, and we're going to spend 12 weeks in the book. We're not going to cover every verse. We're going to just stop at certain stops along the way and, uh, and see what the Bible can teach us from this wonderful letter, what God can teach us. We're so, uh, I'm excited, and I hope that you will be excited about this letter. And I hope that as we study that you will fall in love with the book of Romans and with God who provided us this wonderful letter. And I hope that you'll study ahead as well and, uh, and, and read it. And another way to listen to, to get the Bible is to listen to it. Sometimes when you're listening to it, an audio Bible, there's apps that do that or just on wherever you can find it. Sometimes you pick up things that you don't pick up when you're reading. And so when you're driving, when you're doing dishes or, or working in the yard, that's a good time to do that. So read ahead and get familiar and get refreshed with the book of Romans, uh, and, and I hope that you'll be blessed by this series. We, in this series, we want to focus on come to Jesus and how uh, Paul is writing about Jesus through this letter. And so I want to focus our time in this book uh, on Jesus and how Jesus draws us to him. Uh, Paul reveals God himself and, and Christ through God in this wonderful letter, and it's a powerful letter. Romans is a deep and rich book, and you can spend a lot of time in this book, of course, like any of them, and uh, that's why I encourage you to be uh, reading on your own as well. The first 11 chapters of Romans are very theological, so more more on the, the study side, if you will, and and uh, more of maybe of the heavier stuff. And then the last chapters are very practical. They're, they're very practical about Christian living in the world. And Paul was good about that. Paul would, Paul would go up here and deal with some heavy stuff, and then he'd just come right back down to earth and just make it plain to us and, and, and get right where we live and help us know how to live this out. And, and Paul was great about that, and we'll see that throughout the book. Did you know that Paul had never met these Christians in Rome at the time of writing? Uh, and it's thought that this church possibly got started 
from people who became Christians in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when all those people assembled for Pentecost for that Jewish festival. Uh, one, one verse in there when it's listing all the people that were there. Uh, Luke records, so, and some people from Rome. And so it's possible that those people became Christians that day and then went back to Rome and started the church that Paul is writing to that he has not yet met and longs to meet and be with. And so he tells them how he longs to be with them and hopes to be with them soon and then talks to them later about how he wants to get to Spain as well and do ministry there. Paul wrote to these Christians primarily about God's righteousness revealed in Jesus. So you could find other themes or sub-themes about the book, but one of the glaring big themes, big ideas about the big book of Romans is the righteousness of God. So if you'll remember that, and that righteousness of God revealed in Jesus then that will help you as we move along through this series because that's how we're going to focus uh, our, our study. So today we're only going to be in verses 1 through 17. We're going to spend some time there. And let's look at verse number 1 where Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, introducing the letter as is customary, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, a lot of times we can just read over those introductions and, and say, well, let me, let me get through that and get to the real stuff. And what I want to always encourage you to do in the Bible and Bible study, and we're going to talk about Bible study tonight, uh, but it, it's slow down. Don't read so fast. Don't be in such a hurry. You don't have to cover all of this in one sitting. So slow down and let's, when we do that, what, what do we find? What do we learn? Well, Paul used the word servant here when he, that's the first thing he called himself, Paul the servant, a servant of Christ Jesus. And that Greek word that he used there for servant also can be translated and sometimes is slave, bond servant, your translation might say. And so Paul is saying, I know who who, who owns me. I know whom, to whom I belong. And he says in another place, I know whom I have believed. He knew where his identity was, and it was in Christ Jesus. He was a servant, a slave of Christ. That was the focus and the, the purpose and the mission of his life. And in Philippians, we've looked at in a previous series that for me to live is Christ. And, and that's what that means is to just be a servant, slave, bond servant of Christ. That's what he's saying. For me to live is Christ. That almost doesn't make sense in that way that he wrote that sentence, that God told him to write that sentence. But, but it makes sense when we understand that he said, I'm a servant of Christ. That makes sense. So he was never too proud to say who he lived for. And all of his education and all of his intelligence and all of his passion and all of his talent, all of the, the things that he could claim uh, about his life, the first thing he says is, I want you to know, you Christians in Rome whom I've never met, that I'm a servant of Jesus. 
Paul left no doubt in people's minds who his owner was. He wanted people to know, when you know Paul, to know Paul means you know I'm a servant of Jesus. And isn't that a wonderful example for us today? You know, that people, people don't have to, you know, Paul didn't say I'm the president of a company or president of a nation or, uh, you know, all kinds of things we might lead with. I, I graduated from so-and-so with such-and-such, and I have a boat and all of the, you know, he didn't say that. He said, the first thing I want you to know about me is I'm a servant of Jesus. Man, what a great thing for people to know about us in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in, the, in, in, in baseball and all the different things that we're involved in, uh, when you're at your kids' activities and sitting there, that, that's something that people need to know about us. And I'm first and foremost, not, not my job, not my, my family, not where I'm from, not my, my neighborhood, or not my color, or not my education, or my money, but I'm a servant of Jesus. So I want to encourage you with that uh, this morning. Paul then uh, goes on and he tells the next thing, which many people would lead with, by the way, I'm an apostle. They might just start off with that. I'm the apostle, the great apostle Paul writing to you. And I serve Jesus who made me an apostle. By the way, did I mention I'm an apostle? He didn't say that. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus. But he's never met them and they surely have heard of him. But he does say that he is an apostle uh, of Jesus. And, and for him, in the way God called him to be an apostle, uh, God saw fit that Paul write that, perhaps to establish credibility, perhaps to make sure they understood who this was writing to them, that he had the authority from God to write to them. Uh, but he didn't make that the leading thing, the leading characteristic uh, of who he was. But then he opens up his letter and he says, that he was set apart for the gospel. He said, I'm a servant of Christ, an apostle set apart for the gospel. He puts all those three together. In Galatians 1.15, Paul writes, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, you see that? And who called me by his grace... And Paul, he's replaying the tape of his life and how he persecuted the church and, and got letters to go grab people out of their homes and put them in jail for believing in Jesus. And he's thinking that as he writes, and who called me by his grace. Paul never forgot who he was before God called him. And verse 16 uh, of Galatians 1 was pleased... Uh, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul was called to preach to the Gentiles. So long before Paul became a Christian, God had set him apart for this purpose, to proclaim the gospel. It was all a part of his plan, all of his education, all of his experiences, his heritage, uh, his everything that was about him was all a part of God's plan for where God had him right now doing what he was doing. So you ask, well, why am I from where I'm from? Why was I born in the family I was 
born in, of all families, why did I have those parents? Why is that? Why why are these my siblings? Why is this my? Why do I come from here? Why why God <laughs> did you send me through all of these experiences? Because maybe it's because God wanted you right now to be able to do what He needs you to do now, and He was getting you ready all along the way. That's why you got that crazy uncle so that you can help people now today. Maybe that's why you went through that experience to help get you ready to serve people today in his kingdom. So all the diversified gifts Paul had, God says in Acts 19, Acts 9, 15, Luke records uh, where Jesus called Paul his chosen instrument to carry his name. And so Paul said he was set apart for the gospel, not just set apart, but set apart for the gospel. That's important too. And you know, it's interesting, the Greek word for Pharisee has the same root meaning as the word for set apart. They have the same root meaning, Pharisee and set apart. Think about that. Now, I don't know whether or not Paul was doing a play on words, and the Romans would have picked up on that. But it still is true that the root word for Pharisee is the same as the root word for set apart. What does that mean? Why is that interesting? Because as a Pharisee, Paul had set himself apart for the law and to make sure people obeyed the law and all of the extra laws that the Pharisees had created and made up in addition to uh, what God had only said. Paul had set himself apart for the laws of Pharisee, but now God, uh, having Paul as his chosen instrument, had set him apart, set Paul apart for the gospel. Do you see that? See, Paul thought, this is how I'm supposed to be set apart. And God was saying, no, I've got you set apart for the gospel. See, you don't know what God has you set apart for. That's why we've got to make ourselves available to be used in his kingdom. So what is the gospel that Paul was set apart for? Well, the word gospel is made up of two words that mean good and news. That's what that means. Good news. And and so what is news? Think about it. When you pick up the paper, which doesn't really happen anymore today, but when you read the news, what are you reading about? The news is about something that has already happened, right? It's typically about uh, this event happened, this wreck happened, uh, 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 this, here's this story about this person in our community. That's what the news is, something that has happened. And so the gospel is the good news about something that has already happened. You can say this is a fact. This has actually literally happened. And what is it? It is that Jesus is the Son of God. He came uh, from heaven and came in the flesh, died for our sins on the cross, and was raised to life for our salvation. That's the good news that God had set Paul apart for to proclaim, particularly to the Gentiles. And so... This isn't just any news, it's good news. Had this good news, the good news of Christ, not happened, there would be no hope for us, and the only thing that, only future we would have beyond this life would be eternity in hell. 
Because outside of Christ, that's where we stand. And it's because of God's love for us that he sent his son because he didn't want that. The Bible says, Paul wrote it, uh, God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants for us. And so Paul was a servant of Jesus, called by Jesus to be an apostle, uh, which means someone who was sent. And in his case, he was set apart and sent to proclaim the gospel. Now, then Paul says something very interesting. We're still in verse number one. But we're not going to spend this long on every verse. But I want to I show you some things here. Then Paul says he was set apart for the gospel. But, but what gospel was he set apart for? What does Paul write? Something unique, something we don't see very often. What do you see there in verse 1? The gospel of God. Do you see that written in the Bible? He was set apart for the gospel of God. A lot of times, most of the time, we think of the gospel as the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, right? But Paul says, I was set apart for the gospel of God. Now, remember, they don't know him. He doesn't know them, okay? He's writing to them, and one of the things that he says is, I was set apart for the gospel of God. What is that saying? That's saying he's communicating that this gospel was not man-made. Someone didn't think this up and write it down. God, God did this. This originated from God in heaven. The good news of Jesus came from the sovereign God himself, God Almighty. And that's, this is his good news to us revealed in Christ. That's what he's saying. So he wants the Romans to understand, the Roman Christians, that this is from God. You can count on it. You can know that this is right, this is accurate, this is the truth, and it's from God. And because it's from God, that makes it good. And it's God's good news for us. Now look at verses 2 through 4. Paul writes, which he promised beforehand through his prophets... In the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's a lot there and we won't go through all of that, but Paul was saying that this gospel was something that traced its roots all the way back through the Old Testament. Now that's important. We don't really register that and think about that as much. We're going to do a series on that in the future. But that's important, and that was important for them to hear that, that this is the gospel of God, and that in the Old Testament, as we call it, this was prophesied from way back then. This was always, be, this was always what the Old Testament was about to lead us to Christ. That's what he's telling the Roman Christians. That, that this is what it's about. That Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy. Not only did it prophesy about him, but he fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. So when Paul referenced the Holy Scriptures, that's what he's talking about, is what we call the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 26, when Paul was defending himself before King Agrippa, he said this, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here to testify, both to small and great, saying, listen to this, nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Do you see that? 
So he said it again there. This is only what they were talking about in the Old Testament. This Jesus who I'm talking about now. Verse 23. That the Christ must suffer and that by keeping the... uh, and, And... And that, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Do you see that? And on the road to Emmaus, you remember Jesus had already been risen from the dead. He's walking on the road to Emmaus and he, he, well, two two disciples are. Jesus appears and joins them walking. Uh, uh, the, The women had just found the tomb empty. And they go and tell the apostles and they don't believe the women and the women are like, look, here, here's what we just saw. We, he's gone. He's risen. And so these two, these two disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus. Jesus appears, and he just joins in the conversation. And they're like, where have you been? You hadn't heard this? They don't know that this is Jesus because he has prevented them from seeing this is him. And so he's listening in on a conversation. And then finally he says uh, in, in Acts 20, 26, 22, to this day... Uh, I have had this help. No, I'm sorry. Luke 24. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. You see, Jesus is saying this to them. You're slow of heart to believe what the prophets have been saying all this time. Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning him. So then on that road, he walked with them, showing them how the Old Testament pointed to him. Now, I show you that, but I said we're going to get into that. That's an important subject, a big subject uh, to understanding really the big idea of scripture, the story of God, if you will, uh, in scripture. So when the Bible says in verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power... By his resurrection from the dead, let me ask you something. Does that mean that he wasn't the son of God before he was raised from the dead? Because verse 4 says he was declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Was he not the son of God before? What does Paul mean when he writes that? What he means is the resurrection did not make Jesus God's son... But by his resurrection, he was fully uh, invested with the full power of God's glory as his son, having completed God's mission for him on earth to die for our sins. And he wrote about that in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is all about that. That God finished what God sent him to do. That Jesus finished it and then sat on the right hand of the throne of God and that completed his work. He sat down on the right hand of the throne. He's done. His work has been done. He died for us and gave us uh, salvation, forgiveness and salvation in, in him. That's what Paul means. He has, he has finished Uh, all of his work, and rests in his divine status as Lord of all. Because Paul wrote about that. God put everything under his feet in Philippians chapter 2. So the resurrection was God's continuing declaration that this is my beloved son, Jesus, whom I am well pleased, which he had already said before in Matthew as he records. So the cross was the world's way of saying, you are not the Son of God. We're going to nail you to the cross. In fact, uh, uh, 
Paul said in, in Galatians, curses everyone who's hung on a tree. He quotes that. So the world said, you're not the son of God. Crucify him. Remember the crowd called out, crucify him. But the resurrection was God's way of saying, yes, he is my son. Do you see that? The powerful story of Jesus uh, revealing God's righteousness through his sacrifice. See, if Jesus' body had remained in the tomb, the resurrection would mean, mean nothing and there would still be no hope of salvation. But because the power of God raised him from the dead, we can have hope. Look at verses 8 through 15. Paul thanks God for the Roman Christians. He expresses his desire to go see them, tells them he hopes to see them soon and continue to preach and be fruitful among them there. Look at verse number 8. Paul writes that their faith was proclaimed in all the world. And he compliments them. He praises them for their faith that was proclaimed in all the world. Now, it's, it's, it's possible that that meant the Roman Empire when, when he wrote in all the world. Uh, they kind of talked more that way back then, but maybe he literally meant all of the world. It doesn't matter necessarily, but the, what he's saying is your faith, you Roman Christians, is an example, a shining bright light all over the place. It's noticed. It's recognized. It, 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 it makes a difference. You're letting your light shine for God. How would that make you feel if an author in the Bible wrote to you, the, the Bullard Church of Christ, or called you by name. Your faith is an example to everyone. Isn't that, wouldn't that feel great to hear? Imagine, because they got this letter and read it publicly. And they're hearing Paul say that to them. That would be so encouraging. And I hope that he would say that about us. I want him to say that about me. And so Paul was knew who he was writing to because Rome was a hotbed of paganism. Do what you want to do, what makes you happy and feel good, and then go do it again. It was a hotbed of materialism and secularism, all kinds of stuff. It was, a, it was a place of great power, wasn't it? Great military and political power. But spiritually, it was a dark place, and he was saying to them, you guys, you... Christians in Rome are a bright light in a spiritual dark place. And there was even hostility towards Christianity there in Rome. Now in verse 14, Paul says he's obligated to reach all people with the gospel. That's important. What does he mean when he says he's obligated to do that? Well, if, I, if, if someone gave me a large sum of money and they told me, very clearly, go deliver this money to you, you personally. They, they, they made it clear, you go give this money to so-and-so at the Bullard Church. What's my obligation? You, you see, you're like, you better give me that money, <laughs> right? You better give me my money. Am, am I allowed to keep any? No. Why? Because that money's been obligated to you. All I'm doing, I'm supposed to pass that on to you. You see, that helps us understand what Paul is saying. That, that it has the sense of debt, debtor. 
And so, so the King James even uses the word debtor. And so it's something owed to another. And so Paul is saying, I know what, that Jesus has turned my life around. He saved me. I owe him everything. And he has, remember, set him apart to proclaim the gospel. And so I have an obligation, a debt to pay to take this gospel that God gave me and hand it to other people. Does that make sense? That's what he means when he says that. Uh, Paul was so convicted by Jesus that he said, I- I've got to do this. And, and he, pre- he said, I'm obligated to everyone, Jew and Greek. And when they said Jew and Greek, they, they meant or Jew and Gentile, or, or in one place he says uh, barbaric, Jew and barbaric. That means everybody. That's what they mean when they say that. They might as well just say everybody because that's exactly what they're saying. It didn't matter what color they were. It didn't matter how much money they didn't have or have, education. It didn't matter. He said, I'm obligated to proclaim the gospel, to deliver the gospel. And that's our mission too, isn't it? That's our same mission today. It hadn't changed. The Lord's church, and this is, this is something that, see, we, we sit in this time today at a very important time with all of the unrest in our country and in our world and and all of those problems and challenges and and difficulties, the church, God, God established the church to be that bright light in its community. The church has always been a whosoever will place because it's a whosoever will gospel. It's always been for all people and it should reflect that in all the people in its community. And and so the church has always been revolutionary and countercultural. So so see politicians think they can fix something. Activists think they can fix something. None of them going to fix anything. They seem to make it worse. The church is the one that God has said, "You can fix this." Because all people can come together and be united in Christ as one. And, and God's been doing this for the beginning. You look how, how women were, were viewed and treated in the Old Testament and New Testament times. And the church came along and said, and, and, and they said, women are welcome to be Christians too. Anybody can be a Christian. See, they didn't think, and, and, and Jesus, even Moses said, you know, don't, don't uh, just send somebody off and divorce. He had rules about that so that the woman could be taken care of. And that's a different issue, but there was, there was things to take care of women to make sure because in their culture, it was very different. They couldn't provide for themselves in the same way. And so the church has always been very different and countercultural. That's important to understand that God has always been about this business. So finally, in verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul makes this great statement here about the gospel and what it is. See, the gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God. And he says that the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. So how is the gospel itself the power of God? That's, that's a big statement. 
the gospel, the good news itself, is the power of God because it was the power of God that sent Jesus here and sent him on the cross and raised him from the dead so that we can have salvation in him. All of that was the power of God at work. Why? To save us. Does that make sense? So the gospel is itself that power of God. Now, power of God for what? Paul says, for salvation. See, that's important. When you become a Christian, it's not just about being forgiven of your sins. And sometimes we just focus on that. We focus on the idea of being forgiven. You need to repent. I need to, I need to get right. And we talk like that. But we forget, I think, sometimes it's not just about forgiveness, even though that's huge. It's about also salvation, eternal life with God. That's more than just forgiveness. It's forgiveness and salvation. And you can't get the salvation without the forgiveness. The word salvation basically means deliverance. That's essentially what that means, that word means. It was used to refer to military victory. It was used to refer to uh, someone delivered from uh, a health problem medically. So they were delivered from their illness. But uh, uh, the gospel, the Bible uses it in the, in the way of delivered from the consequence of our sin. So you get the forgiveness delivered from that and given salvation through that power of God. Because it's only God's power that could do that. And finally we see the theme of Romans in verse 17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Do you see that? That's what we're going to do next week. So we won't get into that, but that's, that's, a, that's a, man, that's a good subject. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So read ahead. We're going to get it all the way into chapter 3 next week. We'll cover more ground next week. Read ahead. I don't know where you're at this morning or what your needs are. I don't know if you're in a great close relationship with Jesus this morning, or maybe you're as far as you can possibly be. But we want you to know that you being here is, is a good first step in being right with God. And you don't have to have it all together because the power of God can work in your life. And we want you to know that wherever you are, we're here to serve you and help you in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're ready to be a Christian this morning and put on Christ in baptism. We want you to know whatever your need is, we're here for you. And if we can pray for you or serve you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.